The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Just a couple of brief announcements. Before that, uh, there's a holiday schedule on the sheet of paper you hold in your hand. And uh, just a reminder of some things that are coming up. We won't have 815 services in the next three weeks, so it resumes after uh, January and school starts. Perspectives is an opportunity to see what God is doing in the world. It's a 15-week study that's going to take place on the UMHB campus. We have hosted it here. I've actually taught a couple of those uh, sessions, and it's a great opportunity for you to see what God's doing in the world through experts that are flown in each week or drive in each week to talk about God's work in the nations in the world. Uh, There's a table in the hallway outside the offices for you to stop by to find out more information, to sign up and be a part of. Men, how many of you have been to a TBC men's conference? Let me see your hand. Been to a conference. A majority of us in here, it looks like. Uh, That's the final weekend in January. We have the privilege of having Patrick Marley with us. He's the guy that wrote Man in the Mirror. If you Google up Man in the Mirror, you can watch him speak and uh, find out other things about him. Excellent speaker. Great time for uh, ladies. Christmas present for your husbands. Send them to the men's conference. You get a weekend free from them, and uh, they get to go to the men's conference and be taught. Great opportunity for us as men to take sons and uh, son-in-laws with us to hear God's word. Matthew chapter 1, verse 19. And Joseph, her husband, be a righteous man, not wanting to disgrace her, desired to put her away secretly. But when he considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For that which, you have been, that which has been conceived is born of the Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. As we pray, it's only appropriate this morning that we remember the families in Connecticut, those who've lost these precious little ones, can't help but look at the stage and see our kids up here and have our hearts broken for those folks that are there. So let's pray for God's word to be taught clearly this morning, for us to embrace the Savior and for those families. Father, as we bow in your presence, we do want to hear from you. And Father, we do intercede on behalf of these families whose hearts are broken, whose precious little ones have been taken. And Father, in a world filled with sin and evil, we're grateful for a Savior who came to rescue us from that. So we intercede on behalf of these families. We pray blessing over them. We pray peace for them. We pray comfort. We pray that if some don't know Jesus, they would come to know Jesus. If some know Jesus, they would be a lighthouse for Jesus. And, Father, we pray that we would be sensitive to those around us, especially this time of year, who have great need, who are struggling, who this is a difficult season for. We also rejoice that our Savior did come, that he was sent, and as a result of that, we can have life eternal. In his name we pray. Amen. As I said, we're doing four weeks on a subject titled Sent, the one who was sent to us. This week, I'm going to talk about if he had not been sent. Suppose the Savior had not come. What difference would it make and what would happen? You ever waited for something that never came? You just kind of wait for something and never came. Maybe somebody promised you something or maybe it's a package in the mail or maybe it was uh, a notice that you should have gotten or maybe an email somebody said, I've sent your way but it's never come. 
Several years ago, there was a lady who hurriedly purchased 50 Christmas cards without looking at the message inside. You know how it is. You you get a Christmas card, and it it looks good on the outside. Just write a note on the inside, and you put it in the mail. So she did that. She sent out 49 of the cards addressed to all of her friends and family members. And when she got back home, she decided she would look at it a couple of days later, the one that was left. And to her horror, when she picked it up on the inside, it said, This card is just to say a little gift is on the way. You imagine all the people waiting for that little gift to come that probably never came. Suppose the incarnation never happened. Suppose Jesus never came. What difference would it make? That's what I want us to focus on this morning. If he had not been sent, there would be no redemption, and we would still be in our sins. If he had not been sent, there would be no redemption, and we would still be in our sins. In Matthew one twenty one, it says this, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. He will save his people from their sins. The promise of the baby to come was that he was a redeemer. Even from the time that Joseph is told that he would be the one who was married to Mary, who would be the father of Jesus, the purpose of the baby was stated, he will save his people from their sins. If you look at 121, if you write in your Bibles, that would be a good section to underline. I mean, I can only imagine what Joseph was feeling here. In 119, it says he was a righteous man. When you look at the scriptures, he was also a kind man. He was also a a, a man of of genteel because he's concerned more for Mary than he is for himself. He had many options at this time. He could divorce her. He could send her away. They were betrothed, and it was almost official. It was like an official marriage in our day and age, and so he had decisions to make. Joseph is confronted after his wife is gone for three weeks with an obviously pregnant woman. Can you imagine? you imagine what's gone through his mind? Instead of purity, he's confronted with pregnancy. How would you have responded? Anger, self-protection, bitterness, unbelief. Joseph responds as a merciful man. I imagine Joseph's friends whispered into his ear, Joseph, she's your woman. Send her away. Joseph, she's your woman. We'll start the stoning process. But Joseph was a man with a plan. He was a kind man. He was a righteous man. He was a planner. And he already planned to send her away. But but then the angel appears to him. In the face of crushing disappointment, Joseph displays kindness and mercy and obedience. The angel comes to him and says, Joseph, don't send her away. In fact, she is who she claims to be. And that is to be pure, to be a virgin, and to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit. you imagine that wild tale told to you by your fiancé? And then the angel confirms it, and all of a sudden, Joseph, a man of obedience, recognizes this is what he should do. So if you drop down to verse 23, all this took place, so it could be spoken through the prophet. Verse 24, Joseph arose from his sleep. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took her as his wife. The decision, if the decision to end the engagement was hard, now the angel gave Joseph a more difficult course of action, and that course of action was to marry Mary. You can imagine the barbs that were thrown at them. You can imagine the slander that came their way. But Joseph was a man of faith, a man of obedience. There's no stuttering, no stammering, no negotiating, no waiting. He did what the angel told him to do. But the important thing here is that Joseph also recognized, as he was told, that Jesus would be the Redeemer. He came to save his people from their sins. 
a little later on in the scriptures, it says, For unto you in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Jesus is speaking, or the angels are speaking to the, to the shepherds, and he says, We want you to know the one that's to come is a Savior. This was a baby unlike any baby that's ever been born. He came for the redemption of the world. Later on, there was an old prophet who went to the temple every day. God had said, you will not die until you see the Messiah. And so it says that Simeon took into his arms the baby from Mary and Joseph, and he said, now, Lord, you're releasing your bondservant to depart in peace. I can die. Why? Because according to your word, my eyes have seen your salvation. And so what we see is that, first of all, to Joseph it said he will save the people from their sins. To the shepherds he's called a savior. And Simeon, the prophet, the old prophet, says he is the one who has come as a savior of the world. He is the redeemer. In the temple at that same time was a prophetess, a lady named Anna. She's been a widow for decades. And she, too, is in the temple looking for the savior, for the Messiah, for the Christos, for the anointed one. And she prophesies over the baby as well. And when she sees the baby, these are her words. At that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of him to all those who are looking for what? The redemption of Jerusalem. You see, Christ came as a baby specifically so that we might have redemption. He is the one who came as the Redeemer. I love what Hobby Lobby does every major, every, I think it's Easter and Christmas. They always put an ad in papers really around the Southwest. And this was their ad a few years ago. It's exactly what we're talking about. It's exactly what we're talking about. In fact, Chuck Swindoll says this, unless you see the cross overshadowing the cradle, you have lost the significance, the real meaning of Christ's birth. Unless you see the shadow of the cross over the manger, you don't understand the incarnation of Jesus. Chuck Colson said it this way, Hostages in the hands of an evil captor yearn for freedom. At the appointed hour, a loving father leaves the ransom for a world held hostage by sin. A bundle wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. The shadow of the cross over the manger. We were captives, but he came to offer us freedom. Back in the 18th century, this little poem was penned. And it says this, who art thou, precious little babe, nestled in the hay? God I am, come to earth this day. Why dost thou come, sweet little babe, nestled in the hay? To die I came, the price of sin to pay. Whose sin, tender little babe, nestled in the hay? Yours it was that brought me down today. If Christ had not come, there would be no redemption, and we would still be in our sins. If he had not come, if the cross did not come, if the incarnation had not come, there would be no redemption and we would still be in our sins. Secondly, if he had not been sent, there would be no light and we would still be in darkness. If he had not been sent, there would be no light and we would still be in darkness. When Simeon prophesied, the old prophetess in the temple, prophet in the temple, he said this, My eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared for me in the presence of all people, a light of revelation to the Gentiles in the glory of your people Israel. Simeon says he's come as a light. Christmas and lights are associated, aren't they? 
I mean, you drive around our neighborhoods and you see lights, you turn off the, uh, the, the lights in your house and look at the Christmas tree and you see lights, you look at the stage beautifully decorated up here and you see lights, Christmas and lights. I've told you about the lights at our house. We've got a demon that lives in our attic. When Christmas is over, all of our lights are working on the Christmas tree, on the lights on the mantle, lights around the door outside. We pick them up, put them in bags, put them in about a gazillion boxes, store them up in the attic. And somehow, over the course of the next 11 months, there's a demon up there that does something with the lights. Because when you plug them in the next year, some of them don't work. Can you Have you experienced that same thing? In fact, it's so funny. Somebody said, have you seen the cross down the hallway? You walk out this hallway, there's a cross that's lit up. It's a beautiful cross. And if you look at it, the middle section lights have gone out. There's a demon at TBC, I'm telling you. The demon of light. But here's the reality. There is a light that will never go out. There is a light that shines in darkness. There is a light that can provide for us that which dispels the darkness. In John chapter 1, if you you turn to John 1 with me, you see the theme of light at the Incarnation. In John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being by Him, and apart from Him nothing came into being that's coming to being. In Him was life, and this life was a light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness did not comprehend it. Jesus came as light. He was born as light. But the light was not always comprehended. In fact, if you drop down to verse 9, it says, There was a true light that came into the world and enlightened every man. He was in the world. The world was made through him, but the world did not know him. And then verse 11 haunts me. I've got it circled and underlined in my Bible. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. He came to his people, but his people refused to receive him. Christ knows the pain of rejection. Christmas time, I'm reminded as I counsel folks, as I meet with folks, that this is a difficult time of the year for many. You've experienced a pain of rejection, maybe the rejection from a spouse, the rejection of a friend, the rejection of a brother, a sister, the rejection of a ministry leader. Rejection is painful. There was an ad placed in the Madrid newspaper a number of years ago. And the ad said, Paco, my son, all is forgiven. Meet me at the main post office at 2 p.m. Sunday, your loving father. At 2 p.m. that next Sunday, over 100 men named Paco showed up at the Madrid post office looking for an opportunity to reconcile with a dad. The pain of rejection. Our Savior knew it. Our Savior experienced it. And so you can come to him with that any time in your life. He came into his own, but his own knew him not. Jesus came as the one to dispel the darkness. He says in John 12, 46, I've come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. We saw darkness this week, didn't we? We saw evil and darkness. But here's the reality. Through Jesus, darkness can be dispelled. Through Jesus, light can replace darkness. He came into the world for those that believe in him to have darkness dispelled. Some of you walk in darkness today. Some of you have family members you love. Some of you have friends you love. And you shared the gospel, but they remain in the darkness. Your prayer, hopefully, this Christmas season is that they will see the light of the Savior. 
Here's what the scriptures teach us. If Christ had not come, there would be no redemption. If Christ had not come, there would be no light. If Christ had not come, there would be no peace. If Christ had not come, there'd be no peace if he had not been sent and we would still be in chaos. If he had not been sent, there would be no peace. Names are important in the Bible. Abram's name is changed to Abraham. It means father of many nations. When Abraham and Sarah told that they will have sons, a son, they're in their 90s. You remember what Sarah does, ladies? When, when Sarah's told at 90 she's going to be pregnant, what does she do? She laughed. And what did Abraham do, guys? He fainted. No, it doesn't say that in the Bible, but... I mean, I'd have keeled over right there. I'm telling you, at age 100, getting ready to have a baby, it's like, God, take me home right now. I'd do that at 58. I'm telling you, I'm gone. Poop, I'm checking out. Names are important. So you know what they name Isaac? You know what Isaac means, the Hebrew name Isaac? Son of laughter. Abram to Abraham, father of many nations. When his name was changed, he didn't have a single heir. Isaac, son of laughter. Then there's this guy named Cephas. Do you remember what happens to him? Jesus looks at Simon, and he looks at him, and he says, Hey, rock! Literally, that's what he says. You're Peter. And he changes his name to rock. And then there's this guy named Saul, who's a persecutor of the church. And he comes to faith in Jesus, and it's not Saul anymore, but now it's whom? Paul, the lover of the church. Names are important in the Scriptures. There are dozens of names for Jesus in the Scriptures. Son of Man, Son of God, the Bread of Life, the Bright Morning Star, the Light of the World, the Lamb of God, the Good Shepherd, the Great Shepherd. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, in a segment related to the Christmas story, Isaiah says, A child will be born, a son will be given, the government will rest on his shoulders, his name will be called, and then there are four couplets. He shall be called, and here his name's Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And we could focus on any of those couplets. I want to focus on the end, Prince of Peace. One of the names given for the one who would come as a Messiah is the one who would be the one that brought peace. If Christ had not been sent, there would be no peace in our world, only chaos. We live in a world that's looking for peace. At the international level, peace between nations. On a national level, peace within Congress. On a personal level, peace within our hearts. There are many people that lack peace. Many of you lack peace. Last night, you laid in your bed and you watched the ceiling fan go round and round because you couldn't fall asleep. The light goes out in our house. When I reach to turn the lamp off, before it's dark, I'm gone. For some of you, lie there. For some of you, if you looked at your fingernails right now, they are bit down to the quick and you're still gone to town because you're filled with anxiety. For some of you, if you don't pop enough pills in the morning, if you don't take another drink, you don't know how you're going to make it through the day because you lack peace. Jesus is the one who brings peace. In Philippians 4, it says that we can experience peace from him. It says we can have the peace of God. 
And so if your heart is filled with worry and your heart is filled with anxiety, and if you are lacking peace, turn to the one who is the Prince of Peace and can give you peace each and every day. If you have noticed, the burlap sack of anxiety and worry is a heavy sack. The Greek word for worry, you know what it means literally? It means to divide the mind. When you have no peace, when you have worry, your mind is divided. It's divided between the things of this world and the things of God. And your mind and your heart is divided. And you can cling to the Prince of Peace. You can turn to the one who's... Some of you have PhDs and worries with postdoctorates and anxiety. I mean, my encouragement to you is to turn to the one who can bring peace. I manuscript my sermons on Friday. Somebody calls and says, have you guys seen the news? We hadn't seen the news. So I pop online and see what's happening and start to weep. Just start to weep for these kids, for these families. Our twin grandsons are six kindergartners. And you put yourself in their place and think, oh my gosh, if I got that phone call. And begin to intercede and pray for those families. And I was in the midst of this point right here. I was in the midst of this point about peace and just prayed for peace in the midst of chaos. And I started to think, what's an example of that that I could give to you this morning? Well, probably each of you could give an example. My mind raced, though, to a guy named Horatio Spafford. And that name may not mean a lot to you, but it will when we're done. Horatio Spafford lived in the 1800s. He had four daughters and a wife. He was a Chicago attorney. He had bought much of the land in downtown Chicago. He was a successful real estate guy as well. And he lost a lot of what he had during the Chicago fire. The year before, they had a son that was four years old, and he had lost his life. So Spafford put his wife and four daughters on a ship to go to England where her parents were so he could start things out back in Chicago. In the mid-Atlantic, there was a collision between the ship they were on and another ship. Both ships sank. Two days later, he received a cable from his wife. Saved alone. All four daughters lost their lives. He booked passage on the first ship that he could possibly get on to go and comfort his grieving wife so they could be together. He asked the captain to let him know when they would be at the closest point to where the ship had sunk in which his daughters had perished. And after looking out on the Atlantic, he went back to his berth and he wrote these words. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, you don't think they were rolling in his life? Whatever my lot that was taught me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, that's darkness. Though Satan should buffet, though trial should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. It is well. It is well with my soul. Yeah, I prayed that for those folks. I thank God for Horatio Spafford. And I prayed that for our flock. 
that you would have peace from the Prince of Peace, no matter your circumstance. That you will recognize in the midst of whatever it is you are working through and working at, that the Prince of Peace desires to give you peace. Billy Graham's late wife said this, Worship and worry do not, cannot live and abide in the same heart. They are mutually exclusive. And so when we struggle and when we have worry, we turn it into worship and then we have peace. If he had not come, if he had not been sent, there would be no redemption. We'd still be in our sins. There would be no light and we'd still be in darkness. There would be no peace, and we'd still be in chaos. There would be no worship, and we'd still be in bondage. My wife challenged me. She's on a journey, as you know, and God has done a lot of healing in our heart from her past, and she's become a worshiper of God like no one I've ever seen, spends time on her knees in his presence all the time. And, and she challenged me last year. She said, Gary, have you ever studied worship in the Christmas narrative? Have you seen how often worship is mentioned? And I said, well, I've thought about it, but I really haven't done a study of it. So last year I did a study of it, and it's quite interesting. I, I mean, this is what the wise men said. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east, and we've come to what? Worship him. And later on, the wise men would say, after coming to the house, or I'm sorry, the, 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 yeah, the wise men would say, after coming to the house, they saw the child with Mary's mother, they fell to the ground, and they did what? Worshipped him. And then here are the angels. Suddenly there appeared with the angels a multitude of heavenly hosts, and what were they doing? They were praising God. That's worship. And then you, you look at the shepherds. The shepherds went back after being with the baby. They were glorifying and praising God. That's worship. So we see the wise men. We see the angels. We see the shepherds. And this is when Simeon took the baby into his arms. It says in Luke chapter 2, then he took the baby into his arms. He blessed God. That's worship. We have the angels. We have the wise men. We have the shepherds. We, we have Simeon. Then we have Anna, the elderly prophetess widow. And it says at that moment she came up and she began giving thanks to God, that's worship. You could look at Mary's Magnificat, she exalted God. Worship is throughout the Christmas story because when you come face to face with the living God, you must do like they did. The shepherds, the wise men, the angels, and Simeon, and Anna, and Mary, you worship Jesus. It's a celebration. You see who he is and you see what he's done. And you can't contain yourself. You're like a five-year-old girl who came home to tell her parents what she learned in Sunday school during the Christmas season. They said, tell us what you learned, sweetie. She said, well, we learned that Jesus' mom and dad were so poor, they only had peanut butter and jelly sandwiches to eat on a long journey. Now, I don't know where they learned that. It wasn't here, I hope. <laughs> and then she goes on and she says, uh, the, the lady rode on a donkey, the man walked, and the baby was inside the lady. They had to stay in a stable with an ox and an ass. He, 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 he. But the three rich men found them because a star littered the roof of their house. Shepherds came, and you could pet the sheep, but you couldn't feed them. You wonder what goes on through a kid's mind when they're hearing the Christmas story? I mean, that's probably it right there. You couldn't feed them. Then the baby was born. And then they say, our daughter's eyes moved from quarter size to dollar size. She looked at us. She jumped up on the couch and she whirled around. And she said, Mom and Dad, you know who the baby was? He was God! The excitement of a child learning about a Savior. The wise men, the shepherds, the angels. Mary. Simeon, Anna. When they saw the baby, 
they worshiped. We're going to include our service by worshiping together. We only did three songs up front because I want us to worship the baby. When you worship the baby, it's a time of great celebration. When you see the baby, you worship him. We are no longer in bondage. But because he has been sent, had he not been sent, there would be no redemption, there would be no light, there would be no peace, there would be no worship. But because he has been sent, we can have eternal life and abundant life. Amen? We can have eternal life. We can have abundant life. You can have eternal life if you trust Christ as Savior. Jesus put it this way. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I come that you may have life and have it abundantly. I come so you can have abundant life. I come so you can have eternal life. That's why this baby was sent. As you know, I love World War II history. I've read everything Ambrose has written. I've read and watched movies. Saving Private Ryan is my favorite all-time movie. Uh, the, the, the Longest Day, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, there's great stories about D-Day, about World War II. It's the greatest invasion that has ever taken place, greatest maritime invasion in the history of the world to this day. On D-Day, a day when the greatest generation represented us well, On that day, 150,000 troops, 6,900 vessels, 4,100 landing crafts, 12,000 airplanes were involved. It's a phenomenal story. Within the next two weeks, the Brits sent an additional 314,000 people. The Americans sent 314,000 troops as well. The toll was unbelievable. Within the first four weeks, five weeks after D-Day, There were 11,000 Brits who lost their lives, 5,000 Canadians, 29,000 American men lost their lives. Wrap your head around those figures. It's in the first few weeks after D-Day. It was an invasion unlike any invasion the world has ever seen. They spent one year preparing for it. There were false invasion sites, as you well know, so that the Nazis would not recognize where we were coming. The most impressive invasion in world history. Almost. Not to diminish what happened. Not to diminish these brave and valiant men who gave their lives. But the greatest invasion took place about 2,000 years ago. The greatest invasion took place when God left his throne in heaven in the form of Jesus Christ. And he came to a planet. He came to a planet to die. He came with nothing, he left with nothing. He was born and placed into a barred manger. He died and was buried in a borrowed tomb. He came with nothing, he left with nothing, but he gave everything. And the greatest invasion that took place on our planet was his invasion. The revolutionary nature of God's invasion of our world is far more significant than all the other invasions of history taken together. This one established the possibility of the rule of God in every human heart. Begin the reclamation of our world as God's own. Because he was sent, we can have abundant life and we can have eternal life. That's why we worship the Savior this day.